All right, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and I do just want to thank you guys for being here with us uh, this morning. You know, so many churches right now around the country and even in our state, uh, due to the, the size of their churches, they're not allowed to meet under our, our governor's uh, recommendations. Uh, but how fortunate we are to be able to gather in a responsible way here. And so let's not take this morning for granted. Okay, let's not, uh, I don't know if, if I ever want to take another Sunday morning for granted that, that we can be together. Uh, and so let's, uh, yes, let's, let's let our hearts just overflow with gratitude to the Lord to be able to gather, to be able to worship together, to be able to hear one another's voices as we lift up uh, praise to our great God. And for those of you at home, so we are, for those of you guys here, we are still live streaming, right? And so for those of you guys at home, know that we miss you. Uh, we long for the day when we will all be back together. Uh, but we do understand why you're still at home. And I'm praying that God would give you a wisdom as to when the right time for you would be to return. Uh, and we, we look forward to that day. And uh, so know that, hey, it is good to be back, but there's still some incompleteness to it, right? We still have uh, a lot of our family that are, that are still at home. And, uh, and so it's in this incompleteness, this idea of this incompleteness, let's let that transition us into our sermon this morning, uh, for that is often how we feel, isn't it? We, we often feel that we are incomplete, and we long for that someone or that something to complete us, don't we? And advertisers know this, right? I mean, they, they kind of feed on this and they're really good at, even if you maybe don't feel incomplete in that moment, they're good at creating that incompleteness in you, right? I mean, your life might have been all well and good before an advertisement or a commercial came on, but then after it, you're like, hey, I don't know how I can live another second without this product or whatever this person is trying to sell me. Right? I mean, you might have been content with what you had, complete with what you had, but then you see something, and then all of a sudden it's like, I can't live another second without this thing. Like, Amazon could not get here soon enough to uh, give me this product that I want because I feel incomplete. And, uh, and if that's you, I mean, I feel you. I've had that struggle as well. Uh, for example, we have two Snuggies at our house right now. Uh, so something happened there, right, when we saw that commercial. Uh, I mean, it, it was a buy one, get one free, okay? So I felt like I could not pass up that opportunity. I couldn't lose money on that. Uh, but, but what happened there, right? What, what happened there? At, at some point, I was convinced that our blanket needs were incomplete until we had blankets that we could put our arms through, right? That, that's what happened there. And so uh, now some of you can enjoy those at our city group and things like that. But what about you? Maybe it wasn't the Snuggie. Maybe it wasn't a Chia Pet. But what about you? What, what marketer tried to expose some incompleteness or emptiness in you? Uh, maybe it was the latest iPhone, right? Like your, your iPhone 6 or iPhone 7. You, it was pretty good until you saw like the newest one come out. And then all of a sudden your, your camera and things on your phone felt incomplete. They felt lacking until you could get the newest one. Or maybe it was a car commercial or a commercial for new clothes. Uh, maybe it was seeing friends on social media go on vacation. Like your life you felt was pretty complete until you saw your friend was on vacation. And now your, your life is incomplete until you can go on vacation as well. 
And you see, the reason that this is such an effective marketing scheme or strategy is because apart from Christ, humanity is incomplete. Apart from Christ, humanity is incomplete. And even once we put our faith in Christ, even for those who are followers of Jesus, uh, we are complete in Christ, but we often forget that we are complete in Christ. And so we get captivated and led astray by someone or something who can promise to complete us or to at least complete a certain aspect of our life. And Paul, as he's writing to the Colossians, okay, he's concerned that the Colossians are going to fall into the trap of some false teachers or some false marketers that are teaching what people have called the Colossian heresy. All right, And we don't know exactly what this Colossian heresy was. We know it was likely a combination of some uh, Judaism mixed with some pagan folk beliefs and maybe some early Gnosticism. And so it was some sort of teaching that, that was trying to teach people about di different rituals and traditions. But last week we learned that the false teaching at the heart of this Colossian heresy, okay, at the core of this false teaching, was this attempt to try to add to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is often the case. False teachers try to add to Jesus. He's, they say he's not enough. He's not sufficient for life and salvation. False teachers tell you to add to him. True teachers tell you to press into him, right? That's what we talked about last week. And Paul's concern for both the Colossians and for us is that by adding to Christ, that we would actually be led astray from him. Whereas the completeness that we long for, the fullness that we long for, is only found in Christ alone. And therefore, we should not try to progress past him, but instead seek more of his presence in all aspects of our life. And church, I pray that today that the Lord would open up our eyes to see the completeness that we have been given to, in Christ and so I'm going to read uh, this passage uh, uh, for us here, and I'd ask that you guys go ahead and stand back up with me out of respect for God's Word, and I'm going to read from Colossians 2, verses 8 through 15. He writes, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray again. Father God, this is your word. And these are your people. And God, I ask that you would speak to us, Lord, from your word. 
that you would, Lord, help me as I communicate. May this be clear. Uh, may I not get in the way, God, of what you are trying to teach us and tell us this morning. Lord, we ask that this truth and these things that we will be learning from your word, we ask that they would not just uh, inform us, that they would not just change our minds, God, but that, that, that this truth would transform us, God, that this would stir up a love for you. We ask that this would be a worshipful experience as we preach and receive your word. So, Lord, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to receive it, and we ask that it would bear great, uh, abundant fruit in our lives. We look forward to what you are about to do, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead. You guys can be seated. See to it, he says in verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Now, Paul's not knocking philosophy here. Okay, he's not, uh, he's not dogging you if you studied philosophy or if you took a philosophy uh, class, okay? What he's saying is, he's saying, hey, watch out for this philosophy that is trying to add to Christ or is trying to prog progress you past Christ. He's saying adding to Christ does not make you more complete. It actually leads you into more emptiness and incompleteness. Don't be taken captive by this empty philosophy. It's a road that leads to nowhere. And he goes to then describe this philosophy a bit more. All right, look at, look at verse 8. He says that this philosophy, he calls it empty deceit. Empty deceit, right? It's misleading, it's not going to provide what it promises. It's empty. It's deceitful. He also says that this philosophy is according to human tradition. The Colossians were mainly Gentiles, but they lived around other Jews who were possibly telling them that in order to follow Christ, that they needed to practice all these Jewish customs and rituals. And Paul's like, no, like you did not receive a human tradition. You received Christ. You received Christ through faith. And we learned last week, right, in verses uh, 6 and 7, that we are to continue with Christ as we began with Christ. And that is all through faith. We began our life with Christ through faith. We are to continue our life with Christ through faith. We're not to go back to human tradition. That's not what we received. We received Christ. And then Paul goes on to say something that might be difficult to understand. He says, according to the elemental spirits of the world. The elemental spirits of the world. Well, what's he talking about here? And there's a few things that he could be talking about here, but I believe that this phrase, elemental spirits, is referring to demonic powers or to fallen angels. Okay, we see this theme throughout Colossians. Paul has already said in chapter 1, right, that we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of Christ. He's already told us that Christ was the creator of the visible and the invisible world. He says in chapter 1, verse 16, right, that he even created thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. And then later in this chapter, he's going to talk about Christ's victory uh, through his death and resurrection over demonic powers by, uh, by disarming them, disrobing them, putting them to open shame. And so these elemental spirits here, he's, he's likely referring to this, this evil power in the world, this demonic power. And when you think about it, this is really, I mean, why philosophies and worldviews and any sort of teaching that wants to add to Christ, this is why it's, it's, 
they're sometimes so effective and sometimes so powerful, right? There's a, there's a power behind it. There's, an, there's a demonic power behind it. There's an unseen kind of pusher of this agenda to add to Christ and to tell us that Christ is not sufficient for our life and salvation. But Paul says to the Colossians and to us, he says, don't be taken captive. Don't be taken captive by anything that's trying to add to Christ. It's deceiving you. It's not going to complete you. You're only going to be left emptier than you were before. And don't open yourself up to that kind of influence or power in your life. Don't be taken captive by it. And so, church, one of my charges to you this morning is to not be taken captive by anything other than Christ. Right? We want to be captivated by Christ, but we don't want to be taken captive by anything else that would try to add to him. Because the sad thing about many in our society is that many of us, right, we are not complete in Christ. For those that don't, don't know Christ, they're not complete in Christ. And therefore, they have looked to other things to complete them and to find wholeness and fullness and completeness in their life. But apart from Christ, a complete marriage is not possible. A complete and full friendship is not really doable. A complete reconciliation of, of races, a complete peace, a complete justice, complete human flourishing, like these are not really possible apart from the presence of Christ. And the missing element is not necessarily more education or more progress or even more wokeness, right? The missing element is God's presence. And our society thinks that if we can just be more educated, if we can just have more information, if we can just get some more knowledge, then we can reach the fruits of Christ's kingdom, right? Like peace and justice and reconciliation. They think we can reach the fruits of the kingdom without the king. And it's not going to happen. And we human beings, we look for external solutions to internal problems. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't be involved in our government and in voting and in seeing unjust laws be reversed. And that's not to say that we shouldn't pursue peace and reconciliation. We certainly should. But, but by pursuing that, we also need to be pursuing the presence of God in those things, right? The person and work of Christ in those things. We can't progress past him and move on to these things without him there in it. We can't pursue the fruits of the kingdom without the king. And sin has caused there to be something very wrong in the hearts of human beings that makes us incomplete and it makes us empty and it makes us rebellious to the things of God. And so trying to clean up the dirtiness on the outside without addressing the deadness on the inside is a futile attempt and a futile thing to do. It might lead to some temporary behavioral modification, but it's not going to ultimately lead to human flourishing and completeness. So for a second, I want to think, uh, have you uh, guys think with me about an illustration, and we'll, we'll come back to this illustration even later in the sermon. So I want you to think about canning food. Okay, now, now who here cans food? Like, you know, in jars and seals it up. Okay, we've got a few. Okay, all right, yeah. 
Okay, well, for those of you that can food, uh, be gracious with me, and you have permission to lovingly correct me after this, because all I know about canning food is what I uh, learned yesterday after searching on the internet how to can food, okay? So I'm, I'm open to correction here after this, uh, but what I learned uh, was that there are certain steps that you go through when, when you're canning food, and step one is to first get a plan together. Okay, like you need to uh, get the, uh, just get a plan. You need to get all your equipment and the jars and get everything laid out, figure out what you want to do. And step one, it's always a good step with anything. Just get a plan. All right, then step two is you have to wash your jars, right? You got to put them in hot soapy water. You got to make sure they're nice and clean. Uh, Get them all washed up, wash the lids, get everything washed and clean. And then step three uh, is you have to sterilize the jars, all right, you have to put them in really hot, simmering water, which in my experience, that's about 180 degrees that you're going to want to do that at uh, to just get them completely sterilized, okay? Uh, all right, so you've got a plan, you've cleaned, you've cleaned them, and now you've sterilized them. Now, what if you just stopped there with, with the canning process? I would say if you stopped there, that's that's pretty incomplete. You haven't really gotten to do what you set out to do. It's not a complete uh, picture there. It's incomplete. But that's often where many people stop with their understanding of Christianity. Like maybe you came to Jesus for him to clean you up. Maybe even to cleanse you from your sin. Maybe you wanted him to modify your behavior or help you with a certain kind of bad habit or addiction. But then you just stop there. Like that's all your receiving of Christ looked like. It was just to be cleaned and to be cleansed. And you see what these false teachers were telling the Colossians was that, hey, you need to do these additional rituals. You need to avoid these certain foods or drinks. You need to celebrate these certain days. And these false teachers from the outside, they probably looked pretty religious, but they were incomplete. They were incomplete. So where do we look for completeness? Where do we look? Paul says we look to circumcision. Okay, it's going to get weird. Stick with me. Uh, chapter 2, verse 9. I don't, like, we're just preaching through books of the Bible. When Paul brings up circumcision, we got to talk about circumcision, okay? So Colossians 2, verse 9, he says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Okay, so some really beautiful and glorious verses in 9 and 10, and then he starts talking about circumcision, and we'll get to that in a second. But first, verse 9, okay, In Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells. Here, Paul is again affirming that Jesus is God. He is the eternally existing second person of the Trinity. He is fully God and fully man. And since he is God, we have been filled in him. Okay, now that that, that word filled means to to be filled to the top. 
to be completed. Some of your English translations might even say uh, completed or to be filled to completion. When we received Christ and when the Holy Spirit filled us, we were completed. We were filled to the top. We don't have to look to anywhere else to be complete. We don't have to look to anywhere else to fill the emptiness and the incompleteness we feel. We only have to look to Christ. He has filled us to the top. He is the fullness of God. He is completely God, and he is sufficient to complete his people. Which is, it's, it's difficult, though, still for us to get our minds around that. And so Paul is going to help us with a couple of illustrations in both circumcision and baptism. Uh, however, if I could be honest, this would not be the illustration that I would choose. Uh, but this is where we're going to go, okay? So Paul goes to circumcision to try to illustrate this completeness or this fullness that we have in Christ. And I still, to this day, all right, I think one of the most painful parts about bringing a son into the world, uh, it's not necessarily the labor and delivery. Like, I don't think that's that bad, all right? Uh, I, don't think, I don't think it's the, the diaper, changing the diapers, right? Even though you've got some, you know, different things you've got to at least be mindful of when uh, changing diapers there. I don't think it was the teaching them how to feed or anything like that. I think the most painful part is when the father has to sit there and watch his son get taken back for a circumcision, okay? Uh, it's just, a, it's an awkward, just a, a rough time in life. And, uh, and ladies, I can, I can feel the glares. I can feel them. So know that I'm joking, all right? I am joking. Uh, uh, I should know better than to, to dismiss the labor and delivery, but, but Britt's uh, in the nursery, so I felt a little extra courage to do that. Uh, okay, but so what, what's up with circumcision here, all right? Paul uses this phrase in verse 11, the circumcision of Christ. Like, that's not a topic of many of our devotionals that we read in the morning, right? That's not a text message you send to your brother or sister. Like, hey, let's remember the circumcision of Christ, and let's go uh, be lights for him. And so we have to understand this from Paul's perspective, all right? Paul and a lot of the early disciples, right, were Jewish, and so they grew up with these practices and ceremonies of Judaism, and it's likely that these false teachers were telling the Colossian Gentiles that if they were going to follow Jesus, that they needed to be circumcised. And Paul says, no, hold up. In your union with Christ, you were circumcised. So let's, let's try to understand this, okay? So back in the Old Testament, physical circumcision was to be a sign and a seal of the covenant that God made with Abraham. All right, and it probably sounded a little gruesome and uncomfortable for the, for the people back then, uh, but you got to remember, they lived around people that were doing child sacrifice, okay? And so, uh, so wounding or marking their son on the eight days after they were born probably did not seem so bad compared to all these other peoples around them that were doing child sacrifice. And circumcision, not only was it a sign and a seal of God's promises to Abraham, but it was also a sign of the son's entrance into the community, into the covenant people, into the nation of Israel, which at that time, it was that community that had a relationship with the true God. But listen, circumcision was never just about physical circumcision. 
but it was to point people to their need for a spiritual circumcision. And so a couple of verses that we'll have up on the screen, one is Deuteronomy 10, verses 16, which says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. Paul, when he wrote to the Romans in chapter 2, verse 28, he says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. You see, physical circumcision was always pointing to the need for something to be done to our hearts. And so when Christ offered up his flesh on the cross, he allowed his flesh to be removed and to be cut off from the presence of the Father. And so when Paul says the circumcision of Christ, he's not talking about Jesus as a little Jewish baby. He's talking about Jesus up on the cross, surrendering his flesh to be cut off from the presence of God. So that now, through faith, the Spirit can apply to us what Christ has accomplished for us. So therefore, in Christ, we can put off the flesh because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Okay, so Paul's not saying that Gentile Christians now need to be physically circumcised. All right? He's saying that physical circumcision was pointing to a spiritual circumcision, a, of a putting off of the flesh, which was accomplished by Christ on the cross. Okay, he then, he then goes from circumcision, and now he starts talking about baptism. Okay, and he brings in that illustration, that physical sign of something spiritually that's happening. And, and when Paul goes from circumcision, circumcision to baptism, uh, this is one of the reasons that some of our brothers and sisters, uh, whether it be the Presbyterian uh, denomination or other denominations, this is one of the reasons why they will practice infant baptism. They see this connection between circumcision and baptism. And there's a decent argument, honestly, that you can make for that practice. Okay, this is one of the reasons we do do uh, uh, child dedications, right? We do think it's important to welcome and commit kids into our covenant community. Uh, but we, however, are not fully convinced that we should do infant uh, baptism. So we practice a believer's baptism here. Uh, but, but we do have brothers and sisters in Christ who see this connection between Old Testament circumcision and New Testament water baptism. And therefore, just like the people of God in the Old Testament circumcised babies to signify their entrance into the people, so some denominations baptize infants to right signify their entrance as well. And while we still love our brothers and sisters who do this, and I think it's a secondary theological issue, I don't think it's a primary one, or one that we should uh, uh, divide over or have animosity about, but we do disagree because we see Old Testament circumcision not necessarily connected with water baptism, but instead Old, Old Testament circumcision pointing to a circumcision of the heart, okay, a spiritual baptism, and so any time that you come across baptism in the New Testament, you have to ask yourself, is this talking about water baptism or spirit baptism? Because John the Baptist in Mark 1 verse 8, he said, I have baptized you with water, but he, speaking of Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
It's what theologians call the doctrine of regeneration. All right, the word regeneration means another Genesis. All right, it's what Jesus was referring to when he talked with Nicodemus and said that in order to see the kingdom and enter the kingdom, you have to be born again. It's what physical circumcision was always pointing to, that something had to be done to our hearts, that Christ had to crucify and had to cut off the flesh on the cross. And now through faith in Christ's life, death, and resurrection, Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And so we also can't let our our Pentecostal brothers and sisters uh, call dibs on that phrase, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Like we've Every believer, when God awakens our heart, when he regenerates our heart, when he gives us the gift of faith and repentance, we've all been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so this is what we need to hear for all of us who feel as if our lives are incomplete or empty and feel like we can easily be captivated by all these other philosophies of empty deceit. In order for us to not be taken captive, we must remember and enjoy and delight in that Christ has cut off the flesh. He has cleansed us and he has filled us and therefore we are complete in him. And it is through faith in Christ that our flesh has been crucified and we have been filled to the top with the Holy Spirit. In Christ, we are complete. But not only were we incomplete apart from Christ, the news is actually much worse about our state of where we were before Christ. Apart from Christ, we were actually dead. Look back at Colossians 2, verse 13. Because, listen, you will easily be taken captive again if you don't realize the depth of what Christ has rescued you from. Colossians 2, verse 13, he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see, when the the marketers and the advertisers tell you that your life is incomplete without such and such a product, they're actually only telling you half the story. And God's word lays it out here for us, right? It's not that we were just incomplete. Like we were dead in our sins. You were dead in your sins. Your eyes could not see the goodness of God. Your ears could not hear the melodies of God. Your taste buds could not enjoy the sweetness of God. Your mind could not comprehend the greatness of God, and your heart could not believe the graciousness of God. But what does, what does Paul write to Titus? And, and, and Joshua really nailed it on the uh, call to worship. He didn't know I was going there. But look at, look at Titus 3, verse 4 through 5. Paul writes, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, 
but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. In our sins, we were dead. We needed another Genesis. We needed to be regenerated. We needed another beginning. And the goodness and the loving kindness, when that appeared in Christ, he saved us and filled us with his Spirit. Oh, church, if you want to be completely alive, meaning that your life will be complete and your life will be alive, all you need is Christ. You don't progress past him. You press into him more. You seek his presence in all aspects of your life. If you look to anyone else for life and for completeness, it only leads to death and emptiness. And Paul tells the Colossians that by being united with Christ, God has now made us alive. And he's done a few other things for us as well. Look back at Colossians. He's forgiven us all our trespasses. Now, it doesn't say he's forgiven everyone's trespasses. No, God's word doesn't teach universalism or that everyone's sins are forgiven. But God has forgiven his people, everyone whose faith is in Christ. He's forgiven them all their sins. Not just some of their sins. I think sometimes I can, like, I can get my mind around God forgiving some of my sins. But sometimes I'm just really blown away by the fact that he would forgive all my sins. I imagine if we could put up on the screen uh, all, for everyone to see all the sins that you have committed, all the ways that you have rebelled against God, I imagine that you would feel likely a little ashamed and embarrassed. At least I know that's how I would feel. But listen, God knows you more than anyone else knows you. He knows what goes on in the depths of your mind and your heart that no one else can see. He knows what happened behind closed doors that no one else knows about. And God's word says that in Christ, he's forgiven us all our sins, all our sins. And not only that, but he's canceled the record of debt that stood against us. Isn't it an amazing feeling to pay off debt? Uh, Britt and I, you know, we've, we've been working, paying off student loans, and as the debt gets, you know, smaller and smaller, and we get closer and closer to completely paying off student loan debt, we just feel less weighed down, right? Don't you just feel like there's a little bit more life in you? You feel just that, that uh, freeness of being out of debt, And I was reading a story about in uh, 2009, this was at Azusa Pacific, a college in uh, Southern California, uh, at their graduation, they called three students up to the stage, and all three students were planning after graduation to go to India to serve the poorest of the poor, and all three students had about $100,000 worth of debt, because uh, it's, a, it's a private Christian school in Southern California, and so they had a lot of debt, right? $100,000 worth of debt, and with the three students standing up there, they said because of the sacrifice of an anonymous donor that all their debt was forgiven. 
I mean, can you imagine like in a moment, just boom, that debt being forgiven? You'd probably cry. You'd probably scream. You'd probably pass out. I don't know what you'd do, uh, but it would be really exciting to all of a sudden have this kind of weight lifted off of you of your debt being forgiven. Or how about when people call, I think it's maybe the Dave Ramsey show, right? And they call and they, they do their debt-free scream that they're just so excited to be debt-free. Church, how much more should we come into a worship gathering like this to worship God? How much more should we shout shouts of praise? Because in Christ, we've been forgiven all our sins and our future, past, present, and future, and the record of our debt has been canceled. And then look at verse 15, Colossians 2, verse 15. It says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. By Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he stripped the demonic powers of all power they could have exerted over us. He disrobed them. He shamed them. He defeated them. Yes, we still have an enemy in the world, but it is a defeated enemy. All right, it's like we've talked about this illustration in the past. It's like dealing with a snake whose head has been cut off. The body of the snake is still thrashing about until it realizes that it is dead. And right now, you can look at the news, you can look at the world around us, we still see the enemy thrashing. But it's a defeated enemy. And Christ has triumphed over the enemy. And so therefore, we do not need to be captivated or enticed by any teaching that would want to add to Christ or to have us progress past Christ. Christ is completely God, and He has completed us. He brought us from death to life. He cleaned us and He cleansed us by forgiving our sins and canceling the record of debt that stood against us. But church, why has He cleansed you? Why has he defeated your enemy? Why has he regenerated your heart? Why has he forgiven you? Why has he canceled the record of debt? So that he could fill you with his presence. So we're going to come back to that canning illustration, all right? The canning illustration was incomplete. Step one was you get a plan. Step two was you clean it. Step three was you sterilize the jars, but you don't do that so that the jars can just sit on the shelf and be captivated by the shininess and the cleanliness of all the surrounding jars, including themselves, right? That's not the purpose of canning. No, you clean and you sterilize the jars so that you can fill them. Church, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells and you have been filled in him. And get this, something else happens when you're canning. What happens last is you have to seal the jar in order to guarantee that in the future, that food's going to last and be a good thing in the future. And church, I hope you see the richness of our Trinitarian God in our salvation what the Father planned and ordained, the Son accomplished and filled, and the Spirit has sealed. 
Church, the gospel is so much better than just a get-out-of-hell-free card. We were cleansed to be filled. We were cleansed to be completed in Christ. We were cleansed so that the presence of God would dwell in us. We are no longer dead, but now alive. We are no longer defeated by evil desires, but victorious. We are no longer debtors, but we are now free. We are no longer empty, but now full. We no longer seek progress apart from His presence. And we are no longer incomplete, but complete in Christ. We are completely alive in Christ. So let's pray.